This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler room. Okay, everyone, and welcome to the spoiler room. A kind of short notice, but we got ourselves a crew tonight to talk about a film everyone's talking about, and it was a film once I saw it, I had to talk about it, and I got a great group of folks in the crew in the spoiler room tonight. First off, we have Mr. Cole Meredith. He's in the spoiler room. How are you doing tonight, sir? Excellent. Thanks for having me. You bet. And Mr. Gonzarific himself, the one and only Mr. Andrew Shearer. How are you today? Wonderful, Mark, and thank you for uh, inviting me to be a part of your always wonderful, always honorful group. Well, well, thank you. Uh, uh, we're always glad to have you in the spoiler room, sir. And uh, Joe Caldwell is with us tonight. Mr. Caldwell, how are you? What's up, everybody? Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet, man. And uh, Mr. Scott Davis, of course, has joined us tonight. How are you? Huh? Yeah. yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> no, again, thanks for having me. And again, a man who's starting to become a regular crew member of the Spoiler Room, Mr. Tony Estrada. Tiger Power is with us tonight. How are you, sir? The Tiger Power is right here, and it's getting stronger the more I come on these Spoiler Rooms. <laughs> well, we are glad, we are glad to have you, sir. I, I was going to say. I think what he's saying is that Tony the Tiger is great. Scott <laughs> <laughs> is right. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and of great, I couldn't think of uh, a better film to discuss with you gentlemen tonight than Interstellar. Yes, the latest from Christopher Nolan that has, surprisingly, while it has a high rating with the critics, it's got a mixed review with the fans, and I kind of sort of know why, but uh, I wanted to talk with these some folks about it because it is one of those films that once you see it, you are going to want to talk about it. And people who have seen it like early are still talking about it. So tonight we're talking Interstellar. Now, if you haven't seen it yet, it is the spoiler room. We are spoilerific. We're going to spoil the hell out of this movie. So you may want to go watch it, then come back and listen to this wonderful podcast with these very uh, intelligent folks. And then there's me. So mm -hmm. we'll talk right tonight. And me. <laughs> I want to get initial impressions. Uh, let's start with you, Cole. We'll go right down the line. Uh, initial impression once you saw Interstellar. It was fantastic. I mean, I, I've got so much I could say about it, but it exceeded my expectations. Uh, it's yeah, it's a masterpiece. It uh, the, the last five minutes I think took a desperate wrong turn, but other than that, it's it's. One of those rare, flawless films that I see in the theater nowadays. Mm -hmm. It have a huge budget with big stars, and it was really a surprise. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, Andrew, how about you, sir, your initial impression after you got done watching it? Um, I had to go see it twice because the first time I saw it was also my first time in an IMAX theater. Oh. Um, uh, ah. there, are, there are only 41 movie theaters left in the entire world that uh, were able to project this in 70 millimeter IMAX film and I happen to live about a half an hour away from one of them wow. but, I've, I, but I've never I'd never gone to IMAX because I had bad vertigo uh, and I was like damn it okay <laughs> <laughs> if we shot this thing on IMAX film and this theater shows IMAX film and it's only 41 projectors left in the freaking world I gotta do this you know so I, I went and uh yeah, man, I spent most of the time going like, I gotta get out of here. 
And, and, I'll t- and I'll talk about later why, but I did I did enjoy the movie. I went I went back again um, last night and uh, mm-hmm. really you know like paid more attention. Since <laughs> my heart rate decreased, so <laughs> that's great. Uh, I mean, that great your heart rate was uh, up, but that's that's a great story that you you sacrificed your Virgo to go to to see it on seventy millimeter. That had to be an experience, even with the. Uh, with the fear in there, it it really was because not not the the entire movie was not shot on uh, in on with IMAX cameras, so sure. you have an aspect ratio change that uh, mm-hmm. apparently I thought was just in my head, and but everybody's oh. telling me, oh no, that's normal for IMAX. And I'm like, that sucks. Why would you do <laughs> that to yourself ever? No one no one shoots in an entire IMAX format, even though he's tried. Yeah. He's got a little bit more of each film in the IMAX format. Uh, as he goes along, but he still can't shoot entirely in it because it's the camera. Just really cumbersome. It's just a really cumbersome process. Well, if well you, watching it whiz too. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you ever watched uh, Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, he I shot, did. He shot that on uh, in Cinescope or whatever it was, and there was only like three projectors left in the universe, and one of them he found this guy had one in his basement. And if you watch, he shot it, and the cameras were so big, you watch the truck shots, you can see the camera jiggle a little because it's so heavy and big that when they do these big trucking shots. So, yeah, I can imagine how hard it would be to shoot a new film like that, especially with the way they shoot them now. So I didn't mean to derail things and make no, it all no, about no, me. No. But... no, not at all. <laughs> that was what you call an initial impression, so... Yeah, that's that's, that's that aspect ratio. If it changes during the movie, I would think that's completely stupid too. I mean, that yeah. that would take you out of a movie. That would bug me at home if a movie did that. So, well, you know, because IMAX takes up an entire a yeah. true IMAX takes up the entire yeah. IMAX screen. The rest I don't think I've matting. ever seen a real one. So yeah, I mean, sure. I didn't know what to expect. I'm I was like, like, this whole thing is disorienting. <laughs> <laughs> and if you watch some of the movies like, and if you watch some of the movies like uh, uh, Dark Knight Rises or whatever at home. On like the Blu-ray, you will see the aspect ratio change there too. Really? Yeah, I've never watched yeah. it done on Blu-ray. Yeah, so it does because he used the because he because the same way it would do for the IMAX shot and then mm. a two three five shot. Uh, my 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 thing would be like then do a two three five shot then do the IMAX shot and then go to a one eight five one seven eight shot. You don't always have to take off the screen. <laughs> sure you do. Sure you do. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Joe Caldwell, uh, your initial impression right after the lights went up after the film. Well, I'm happy I watched it on a regular screen because it all looked good to me. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, like the looks of the film, I don't think anybody with eyes could, you know, yeah, disregard. So. Besides that, uh, that article. I'm sad Brad isn't here because uh, he had posted that article from Wired that yeah about the accidental discovery of like, uh, you know, they gleaned a little knowledge I guess off some of the FX yeah, production it, of this movie. So the guy said he'd get a couple articles out of it. I thought that was like pretty freaking cool. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta love a special effects engine that's physics yeah. was so real, science was able to discover yeah. something from a black hole about it. And at the same time, when you look at it, it just basically looked kind of like. Updated Kubrick shots, you know. Yeah, that's it. But it just shows how good his special effects were too. It's like, oh Jesus yeah, Christ, you know. Definitely. And uh, Scott, what about you, sir? Initial impression, right? Oh, after? well, you know, what can I say? I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, big, ambitious 
optimistic, visionary, long, convoluted, complete disappointment of a movie. <laughs> wow. Like, I, I, left, I was so pissed off leaving no that. No way. <laughs> oh, way. Let's get into it right now. Seriously, you didn't like it? I and I knew that I knew that I'm like you know if I'm gonna be on this show I'm might because I knew because I don't know you guys personally but I've gotten a little bit of your personalities and stuff I know what usually gets some voters revving here at least maybe I don't know (laughs) but it seems like um, I thought damn I might be the only voice of dissent on this entire crew. At least someone needs that's, that's going to be freaking brutal. <laughs> not, not at all. You know how we keep things in the spoiler room, so uh, we're all friends here, Mr. Davis, uh, regardless of taste. And, uh, <laughs> and I'll get into it in more detail, I'm sure. You know? Mr. Estrada, you, sir, I think you, you had summed it up perfectly when uh, you told me initially, but why don't you tell our listeners w- what you thought Wow. All I could say is that I needed to breathe after I left that theater. Uh, All I'm going to say is that even though I did see this in a regular theater format, it's one of the best theater experiences of my entire life just because of how grand, how, how much of a speculation the film is. It is honestly one of the best films I've seen this year. It exceeded my expectations and gave me a little more... Like, I expected this film to be ambitious. I expected it to be big ideas, but I didn't think it was going to push it more further. And uh, what Nolan did, even though it was risky, it was bold, but I really respect the guy for that. And even though I am still processing what I watched, I'm processing it in a very great way because it really is such a, it really is such an amazing experience in general. So... I love I like this, like this guy. See? And, and, I don't, <laughs> and I don't use uh, the word masterpiece often, but I would say quite in a way it is like a masterpiece to me. Mm-hmm. And and that's one thing is, and that's why actually I'm glad Scott has a bit, a bit of a different opinion on it uh, because uh, that is the voice of some of the people's uh, complaints. It's interesting to see what expectations are versus what the film actually is. And I think a lot of the criticism, not Scott, because uh, I, I, I think I've got a handle on, on Mr. Davis as far as when he looks at films, but I know a lot of people out there who are Nolan fanboys who are very disappointed by this film. But when I see their criticism, I think it was because they were expecting something different from Nolan because we've, we haven't really seen a film like this not just from him, but from modern cinema in quite some time. Whether or not it was a completely solid film, if it had holes, you look at the film, and for me, the big thing was it was shot wonderfully, but it was not shot in your modern film style. You look at how long cuts you have. In the space scenes, me personally, I love the fact when sci-fi films acknowledge the fact there is very little to no sound in space. Yeah, and the fact you had a lot of silence in this film in yeah. a day and age when you f- when the sound design feels they've got to fill every inch of cinema, every inch of scenes mm-hmm. on the screen with sound, either soundtrack, special effects, dialogue. Here, you get these shots that are just perfectly silent, and you're just sitting there going, 
wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, for me, you wow. know. It kind of brings you in, though, when they don't have the sound. It makes you feel like you're right there with them a little bit. Yeah. When they're Like when he was going through the Event Horizon, mm-hmm. the way it, like, broke up, and it was just, like, no sound for a couple seconds, just him, like, shaking in the chair. And it it's a, a basic freaking effect, but I was like, that's pretty cool. I mean, because, yeah. you know, most things you'd be like, oh, it's going to be all flashing lights and stuff, you know, like I expected them, you know, like contact, this, uh, you know, bright, colorful portal or something, but it was just like, like in blackness, you know, and that's kind of, you know, nobody knows, so it's... Mm-hmm. It's yeah, I mean, some of the some of the most sensational effects in this movie are not special effects. Yeah. Like uh, the when he gives the guy who's panicking the headphones with the nature sounds, and they let that just carry yeah. over yeah. the next that shot. I mean, that was wonderful. Yeah. That I really and there's tons of moments like that in this film that are are just truly special that didn't need to be there, but are there because somebody cared, man. Mm-hmm. Well, Nolan. I mean, he's. I think there is a. There is a. You have to say there's a special attention to detail, somewhat. I mean, I'm sure there's flaws, but when something's that detailed, I, yeah. I love the grimy look too. He takes like a completely different look with his art direction than like you were saying with most films, and it's really exa- uh, exemplified in the robots because most 100 percent, you know, 95 percent of your robots would be humanoid, especially nowadays because the special effects easy to do. You know, like Elysium or you know. I like Elysium, but I'm just saying most robots are going to be humanoid now. You just put a mocap suit on a guy. But he went the complete opposite way, and it turned out to be so good. Yeah. I loved I loved how the robot was a very yeah. efficient, practical tool. It wasn't a humanoid. Uh, yeah. Andrew. Yes. Oh, most of the uh, Yeah. Andrew, what do you think of the robots? Uh, I mean, normally in the past, I say eight years, ten years, sci-fi has humanoid robots. Were you surprised by the robots? I was glad, man. I mean, I was like, please, thank you for not putting all the emphasis on special effects. Make him a, like a gray pencil box. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Let's move on. It, yeah, it, it's uh, it's ugly, but it gets the job done, cool. which. If you look at, uh, I mean, that that's like goes against filmmaking. But if you look at, you know, how they do things in science and everything, yeah, that's well, you know, that, why would they be spending all their money on on making robots look awesome? They had other things to be spending money on. Exactly. Like, Not only that, but if you story. look back, the moves, If you look back, the Moonlander is. Yeah. It's not exactly a beautiful machine, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but what the it thing did with, was so beautiful, you know? But it took the idea also out of there wasn't as many CGI shots because you could sit this box in there, and then from the long shot you could change it. It would change configure shapes to take like an animal gait or something, which is a lot quicker even than a humanoid shape. So at the same time it was like way more effective than a human, and then in the close-up shots you could just have like a box sitting there talking, and well, the way could, they did the voice, it wasn't ro- roboticized at all. It was just like a guy talking like a normal soldier would. It took I up hate basic... robot voice. I hate robot voice. There's well, that's no what I liked about it. It wasn't a robot, robot voice. voice. And then it took up like sort of the filler characters, and it made them so much better. I mean, the robots I, were like... I was just meaning from a practical, from a story standpoint, it would make sense that NASA wouldn't spend all their money on it. But also, because they have to treat that thing like it's their bitch so much, they shouldn't yeah. make it look like a person, because well, so they could still make detached decisions with it. You well, know? That, was, that was one of the points they made yeah. about robots in the film, was he mentioned how it's a tool... And, you know, it takes direction. It has no choice. He tells it, I want you to go into the middle of a black hole, and it goes, 
Yeah, okay. Well, it made because a joke it doesn't about it. have it's a like, face. You know I have to do it, right? It's like, <laughs> I, I think they made a joke about it because it's like, I have to do it, right? Yeah, but because it has no face, it's much easier for them to do yeah. it. You know, just like eating a right. cheeseburger is easier because yeah. it doesn't look like a cow's head. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, which, is the same, which is the same reason why I, uh, when we mentioned horror films a couple weeks ago on one of these shows, I said that I can't ever look up at the Longhorn Steakhouse. I'm eating oh, my steak. Yeah. You look right. up, you see cow's head. It's only, Jesus! Decor by Robert A. Burns. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, what did you think of the personality of the robots? Um, the robot's name was, I believe, Tars. There yeah, was Tars. There was two of them, actually. There was Case, some, yeah. The Tars Case. The robot I actually thought was really cool. I liked how he added tiny subtleties of comic relief. It wasn't anything too far-fetched. It wasn't over the top. It was just minor, simple humor, and I appreciate that about the character, and I liked how youthful he was, like especially in that one scene where they're all in the middle of the ocean. There's this big wave coming, and the way he just spins yeah. to save Anne Hathaway's character brand, I yeah. thought that's what made the character just so unique. And I would definitely say probably one of the best robotic characters I've seen in the film in a very long time, honestly. Well, because back up, up to that point, he basically looked like the monolith, you know, from 2001 yeah. or whatever. And then he's, yeah, like, like, a, figured he's into like the crazy shape and He's not an Autobot or anything. He's just a simple, like, a Transformer. Yeah, yeah. He, he was. But it made sense, and that's what I liked is that it, it did make sense that, you know, they give them personalities, but in the end, they're just this big square box that you can easily dispose of if you have to. Uh one of the questions that actually there's three questions that came up, three things that I want to uh, talk about, and Scott will definitely like the last one. Um, I've got three questions I posed when I after I saw the film. No, no, no. I I, I asked a question in the Twitter feed right after I saw this uh, that is Interstellar one of the scariest movies I've ever seen? Is it one of the deepest movies since 2001, or is it just a group of uh, babbling uh, science babble? And in all honesty, I think it's a little bit of all three, and so I wanted to talk about those three things tonight, guys. Uh, first, I wanted to talk about, uh, is this one of the more scary films uh, you've seen in a while? And the reason I say scary is because, to me, stuff in there could all happen. Well, some stuff in there did happen. And, and some stuff in there has happened. So, uh, Andrew, why don't we go with you first? Would you say it, it is a scary movie, at least in the beginning, the future that they paint for human? Well, yeah, because the first stuff you see are people from uh, Ken Burns' documentary about the Dust Bowl. You know, and they, th those people had to sign off to allow their footage to be used in a fictitious movie because they were actually shot for that great series that Burns did about the Dust Bowl that my mom watched at my house, and that's how, the only reason I recognized it immediately. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that's the freaking Dust Bowl. Those people are talking about the 1930s, you know. So right away, you're put in something that happened in real life, so you're like, crap, this already happened, really. So, you know, now it's going to happen on a global scale. Immediately, you're just connecting the dots, remembering what happened in the Dust Bowl, and you're like, all right, I can totally see that putting us <laughs> in this really awful place. So, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, you know, a movie like, uh, what's the scariest movie? Contagion, I guess, probably the most plausibly frightening movie I can remember I recently. You know, it's it's science fiction's. You know, its job is to do that. You know, it's kind of give you. I mean, obviously, it's still fiction, right? Yeah. 
But uh, it doesn't have to get as real as it did. But uh, you know, we live in an age of picky assholes on the internet, so <laughs> they, they really need to go in there with stuff like that. Here yeah. are real human beings, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I thought it was a good choice, and I agree, it is scary. Cole, what about you, sir? Uh, a little bit scary glimpse into what could really possibly happen. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, yes, I, I think that. All movies like in this genre, like like Red Planet or or Sunshine, uh, always have a similar vision of the future. What made it scarier to me was how they wove it into the plot. They gave you the information on the future. I mean, aside from the opening bits of the documentary, they gave you the information about this future world through characterization. I mean, a lot of it came through the. Uh, the the meeting with the teachers and McConaughey right up front, and they slow you give you they slowly give you this information uh, as you learn about these people, and you realize that wow, farming is like you know the biggest thing, one of the biggest things you can be. Which I live in a farming community, and that's that's pretty fucking Whoa. horrifying. I mean, <laughs> the idea you have to farm, that's like what you have to do is scary because that's hard work, uh, mm -hmm. whether you're in the apocalypse or not. And um, then, yeah, I mean, it is scary, but I think it's the way it was done, not necessarily the vision that we might be fucked very soon. I think that's, in all movies of the sort, they paint that vision, but right. they did it here minimally with minimal special effects, just a little bit of dust in the ritual of, yeah. Setting the table—that was brilliant too. The and drone. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it, the drone. That's an amazing sequence. I could yeah. talk about that sequence alone for ten minutes because that's another sequence that didn't need to be there. It it's added a lot to the background I, of the world, though. You know. Well, yeah, and that's it, true. It set that up is, the world, like a lot. He explained a lot through that sequence, and it kind of gave you know, his. It, it explained what I was going to say about that. How you were saying that they set up a lot without minimal special effects is. Each character kind of represented like a figure, a viewpoint of society, you know, like mm -hmm. the school counselor, and then him, and then you know the son, and Michael, yeah. and all these people. So I thought it was pretty, like you said, they minimal special effects because he doesn't like to use a lot of CGI, from what I've heard, and yeah. already they set up the desperation pretty good, I thought. Yeah, yeah I, I think I thought they set it up too. Uh, what about uh, you, Scott? Uh, the the vision of the future. Usually, we, in a film like this, I think we would get exposition, like dialogue or voiceover, but we don't really get that here. Yet, you don't get a huge detail, but it makes you think about what they've got. It does, you know, and it represents the. It it talks about the future, and of course, so it being a science fiction film, of course, the future has to suck. <laughs> <laughs> because that, and that, that's you know that's why you get these Soviet sites, and often you know in a, in a in a le, in a in a less ambitious film, the future would suck just because it sucks. In this one, it actually gives you it does give you some kind of originality to what it is. I saw parallels to the Dust Bowl, even though I didn't realize that the footage was actually from that documentary um, and stuff like that and the bit though that I found most frightening about the future uh, because I think that you did use this this as a um, a launching pad for its story mm -hmm. is what I was saying is a lesser film would just have that there this one actually used that to try to uh, show how we can excel beyond it even though th people seem to uh, not have hope the scary part for me was that parent-teacher conference where they're talking about 
uh, how the moon landing was propaganda. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's this, it's, and that's just a symptom. And you just know that that was just one of the things in society yeah. that they yeah. were doing. It was this anti-intellectualism. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. was being uh, thrust upon the nation. And this is what anti-intellectualism gets you. This is what happens when you say. When you you know d deny moon landings, when you deny the things we've accomplished, when you deny evolution, when you deny all these things that a lot of these people would like to put in textbooks now, and some school districts have actually succeeded in putting similar things in in textbooks. Uh, when you get to that, it it's an anti-intellectualism that ends the argument mm -hmm. instead of. Getting a new, instead of beginning a new debate, and it often winds up making us feel like it, it, it makes slaves of everybody because yeah. it has us, you know. That was that was the point. Yeah, I mean that's. Yeah, and I like and I liked that bit where he says that we used to look up and now we just look down. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. Where because I think it does make slaves of all of us. It makes us uh, doubt our own self worth. It makes us doubt. Uh, our place in the universe, and I think that is a anti-intellectualism is a very, very, very dangerous place to ever take society. When well, that people was... realize that that is that power leave uh, is uh, gained by keeping people ignorant and desperate. You know, I think that's the was the probably the most frightening aspect of the story. I'm sorry. They picked a good person to play her too, man. She looked like a Republican cartoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like Aunt, yeah, rural Ann Coulter, yeah. What about you, Tony? Did you find that teacher who was kind of scary in the, her complete belief of this falsehood in history? Yeah, I would say that the teacher was pretty scary. But um, according to, but for what the movie as a whole and what it tries to tell you, um, I do agree with you, Mark. In terms of how the movie makes you think. It is pretty scary because we all, none of us can predict how the future is going to be. We don't know when the world is going to end. We don't know what society is going to do. We don't know what the government's going to do or anything like that. So we just know that whatever comes for the future, we just have to, I guess, hope for the best. So the movie does really make me think a lot in terms of not just the future in general, but your whole life, like where's your purpose in life? Where where is life going to lead you? And um, even when I was sleeping after seeing this movie, that still really stuck with me <laughs> big time. So the fact that the movie made me think a lot about life and you know just to appreciate what you have in life. So I would say yeah, it does have me a little scared for the future because you just don't know what's gonna happen in the future. Well, that's why I love good good sci-fi always takes modern topics and addresses them in the future. And, yeah. I mean, I know he was it's set in the future, but I think this is Nolan also making a statement about the current state oh, of yeah. affairs. affairs. Sure. I mean, you know, it hitting you over the head a little bit with it maybe, yeah. Well, but I, 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 mean, didn't it, think, I didn't think it was heavy-handed because mm -hmm. of what Cole was saying. You know, yeah. it, it's like... You, you introduce it with the characters, so I thought it played in the story perfectly. That one scene explains so much about the government, yeah. uh, the future of the children, uh, what was wrong with the world. They <laughs> addressed every major topic in that one conversation. It was so well done, actually. I mean, that, that scene just brought you in. You knew it brought you up to date on the state of affairs in the society, the dystopian. You know, there was no army. 
people were starving. And I, I figured their age, I figured John Lithgow's age was probably like me now, but, you know, my, if my yeah. son was grown up, it was probably Magani. And I think it's pretty accurate Some, if you look at the global warming stuff. I mean, I don't want to get into politics and all that, but if if you were to look yeah. at models of global warming, that's pretty much is what's going to happen. They kind of introduced this whole uh, thing, what they call it, the blight. Which yeah, was, the blight, you know, yeah. Sci-fi We're, sort of thing that they mentioned a lot that was attacking, like, organic matter that, you know, their crops were failing and eventually was going to cause them all to um, uh, suffocate, right? That, that's the way I understood it. Yep. <clears throat> no, spoiler room, sorry. No, <laughs> yeah. no. It's, it's oh, no, we're going to get worse. We're going to get worse. Society, you know, it, it's kind of like, that's why I kept saying it was a lot like Sagan, and sure. um, when I read that article on Wired, it's, one of Sagan's, uh, you know, proteges or whatever that winded up uh, being a technical advisor on this movie. But you know, he made a lot of comments about humans working together for space flight. Uh, is it worth, you know, when people are starving to invest in space flight? I mean, this movie asked a lot of questions, you know, and yeah. it, it left it feeling good at the end. But oh, it, it's definitely, it's definitely a statement on the current state of yeah. affairs, you know, and. Uh, that's what sci-fi needs to do, and that's what good sci-fi does. I, I tell you what was really one of the other scary parts, and here's one of the twist folks, uh, definitely spoiler room here. For me was the fact of someone who had the knowledge to save the world a lot longer, long time ago, but chose not to because he, he made the decision himself, we were no longer worthy. That, that whole decision by Michael Caine's character to just say, yeah, you know what, I had this problem solved, oh, 40 years ago. He didn't solve Martin. it, though. He couldn't solve it. That no. was the whole thing. Well, no, he, didn't he, solve he did. It. No, he didn't solve it. He, he didn't did. solve it. He, the information that Magani sent back at the end is what solved it. He couldn't solve it. What he did was he lied so people would work together because he knew that's the only way they could get Magani and the other fools into it. So they it could eventually get the answers. No, he didn't. But not he didn't for the plan. It. But not for the plan A. No. No, he didn't solve it for plan A. They only had a. The plan B was the only he plan. He only had on plan B. But right. The, right. The part but he then, couldn't solve was the part because he couldn't bring it from the normal relativity to the you know um, quantum right. level. So what happened was Magani. He was the one that transmitted that information at the end, which allowed them to apparently launch that spaceship. That's the way I understood it. Right? Yeah, there, yeah. There's that one scene where uh, she's just uh, she's got the she's just watched the video uh, where she learns her father's died, yeah. and then she's like, she says Did about "You guys, mechanics. yeah." And so they're like, "Whoa, is that true? Is this really yeah. not going to happen?" He did it to get people to work together because he, he knew they he, they say the only way I could get this big of a group of people to work together on a project when everybody was starving was to think they could all be saved. And oh, that was another no, statement about true. human I, I do remember a specific piece of dialogue, not to get into too much of a debate, where no, they no, said no. he had the equation solved for years. That's what I, that's what I, I remember. I do remember a specific piece of dialogue. I'm not sure how it all fits in. I've only seen it once, but somebody definitely says that he, at some he, point. See, and that's where the way I took it. But it was a bit confusing, I, see, I would admit. But. I will say that that's probably maybe was a little bit ambiguous in when him, he said he had the equation uh, figured out years ago. I took it literally, but now the way you say it, Joe. No, what happened was you got to look at it like this. They didn't know what was happening inside the black hole, and that was the big whole right. you know, uh, circus sideshow of the movie. Was that where it went over the top? Was he had to be ballsy enough to go into the black fucking hole at the end to right. gather that knowledge? No, and and see for me, 
I, I took it as literal. I took it as Michael Caine yeah. t- took it with him to his grave because no, he no. felt the Earth was not... Uh, no, was no, that no. actually? Save but him, yeah. now that you well, in which that, case your theory could work. I mean, both no, theories. No, he couldn't actually work. save him. Yeah, he he, he lied to get the whole it, thing back the, on track. It's a yeah. metaphor, and it, it's a play on words. He said that he had solved the equation years ago. I took that as he actually solved the equation. But now that you guys are talking about it, and see, this is why I love this film because there's so many layers. You gotta watch it twice. Uh, it's like a punk rock album. You gotta listen to it a few what, times. What you, <laughs> what you actually meant, the way you describe it, and it makes more sense, is he meant he solved the equation, as in he couldn't solve the equation, and he was just giving people the false hope. You know, he said he solved the equation, meaning he determined yeah. that we aren't. He got it to the point that it needed to get to, but he couldn't like. I, he, he I don't think he would much of a dick. That, he would have not solved it. You know, he if he had it really solved, he would have got the spaceship in there right. and saved people. But I, I think what he said, I, I took it literal. But what you're saying is, when he said I solved the equation, he meant he solved it in that the humans weren't going to get off the planet. Well, it, and he knew. I think he knew some of the stuff that the time issues and stuff right. they'd run into. Because he was clearly the si- senior scientist, and all the other people were just kind of like middly trained. Because mm-hmm. he. I mean, his daughter was the second in charge. I mean, that was a total convenience, or it was like you know the fact that they were had actually been scrambled together, you know. So I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, she totally messed up on the time theory. So you could. I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at the film. Like I said, sure. It's kind of one of those things. Even when they were talking about the sound editing, because some of the stuff was hard to understand what they were saying, and I was like, it's kind of cool. I, I think of it like a Misfits album. You know, it's like. I don't want to know the lyrics. I kind of want to always listen to them and be like trying to catch that next word because that's what plays the confusion. That's what gets me my attention. You know, it's like, yeah, what are they saying? What the fuck is exactly going on? It's like, I <laughs> Well, they play off of a number of fears, and the relativity one is one we've seen before in sci fi. I think, was it 2001 or 10 that dealt with the age and relativity where the guy, like, met, met him? No, it was Ray Bradbury. Uh, 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 Andrew might be able to correct me on this. Uh, there was a, a, I think it was a Ray Bradbury one or whatever. It was a movie where the guy ended up uh, traveling at the faster than the speed of light, and he messages his kid who's like 90 years old. I, I forgot what what. Yeah, frequency. Yeah. Oh, that, oh, that was good. Yeah. And um, I do this for a living, homie. So, yeah. See, that's why I asked you. I, you are definitely a respectable encyclopedia of a cinema knowledge. Uh, but uh, Tony, what did you think about? Do you think that it played off of that fear of aging too? Uh, you know, I mean, we've got the relativity thing. We've got them missing out on the years and their children. What What did you think about? Would, is it playing off the fear of age as well? Whew, yeah. And man, did it did it make me scared to get older? That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> After seeing Interstellar, it makes me scared to turn thirty. It makes me it makes me scared to turn fifty. I'm just saying, uh, you guys are bringing up great points. This movie, in so many ways, does think about how you age in life, what you're gonna do in life. It does bring up so many possibilities, but in terms of aging, it really is scary because when uh, Matthew McConaughey and Hathaway uh, came back from that big ocean and they said that something about how they travel like 20 years, like it was already past 20 years, that's what really got to me. And I did, I did think how the film played how many years per time they're traveling 
it was interesting. It was very ambiguous, but at the same time, it was very scary in terms of how how much you're going to age in your life. Yeah, it, I, and, it, go ahead, Cole. No, I just said yeah. That's oh. I agree. Agree. I, I thought it, it showed like the human sacrifice necessary. That's like in it. Those scenes I really liked him when he came back and he was looking at those videos of his daughter and I mean not the daughter but the son. And then oh, yeah. you know, switch that in age or whatever, and I was like, mm-hmm. man, that just shows like, it, like the sacrifice necessary, even to travel to, you know, Mars is like a massive. So to travel those distances, you know, and it shows the human sacrifice that would be required to sort of, you know, get that far, you know, and that's why Magani I thought was great because he kept the Russ Cole character to a minimum, and yeah. you know, but he was still over the top enough to keep it kind of light at the same time, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. I like that scene, like you were saying, where he put the nature sounds on the guy's ears. Oh, yeah. yeah. That. This guy had never been that far in space, but like he was so like comfortable. It was like, hey, bro, yeah. it's cool, you know? And then, and then that scene, uh, what was it, Mark? I know you saw that post. It's impossible. No, it's necessary. I was like, this is like a summer movie that is still like intelligent, you know? It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that line. It's like, it's necessary. It's, it's necessary. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, Matthew McConaughey is in space, and he just keeps on living. L-I-N-I-N. <laughs> when I kind of hit on him for those commercials, and I was like, he did it again. I mean, I don't, I'm not that super fan, but after True Detective, I was like, you know, riding high, and then I was so happy he kind of kept it in check for this. And I, w- I was ex- solely expecting him to come out at one point to the crew and just go, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I was I'm 124, and they stay the same age. <laughs> Did you think Anne kind of was reminiscent of a, a little bit of Luke Skywalker R2-D2, or am I, like, tripping on that stuff? Am I wrong? I was like, he gave a little love to Star Wars in there, I think, at the end when... It, it was a little bit. Him and Tars jumped into the, the spaceship at the end. I was thinking of R2 and Luke Skywalker. I was like, he touched on all the sci-fi bases. He touches yeah. on a lot of sci-fi in this film. Uh, you know, the way he shoots some things, some of the scenes. Uh, I tell you, I, now I tried to stay away from finding out a lot about this film. I will say the Matt Damon appearance surprised the hell out of me. That was a surprise. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think we found the part where t- one of the parts Scott really didn't like. So let's start with oh, Scott. Yeah, Let's, let's talk about I can tell Scott just loves it more than any of us. Here. I, I want to get let's get Scott going first. Uh, Mr. Uh, Matt Damon's character, the uh, the monkey in the wrench, so to speak. Uh, what issues did you have with the man character there, Mr. Damon? Uh, my, I honestly felt now it wasn't that it was played by Matt Damon. <laughs> or anything like that. It, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that. It was that I felt that if I had, and I'm doing a little maintenance here. If I felt that if that if I had said, "Oh, Matt Damon's in this," and if I had gotten up and left, and then come back a half an hour later. And I would have st- said, like, oh, okay, the, the ship is damaged somehow, and, uh, oh, the black guy's dead. There's a shocker. Oh, my God. 
beyond that, beyond that, I don't think that I would have been totally uh, lost in the story. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, I would have come away with a much, much better opinion of the film because first, the first chink in the armor was in the um, uh, Michael Caine confession, and we can get into that later. But just to keep on track, is um, the second big chink was this. <laughs> it was not. I'm sorry. <laughs> there was this weird detour this film do, took. Do you mean kink, not not chink? In the oh, armor. Yeah. Okay. Took right. armor. That was racist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we're, we're not we're not trying to be racist here. No, at all. Oh come on. They had a movie about Come on. They had a movie about they had a movie about science nerds and no Asians in it. Come on. <laughs> Everyone, um, How, no wonder he screwed up the math, you know? We, we'd just like to say that the opinions of Mr. Scott Davis... <laughs> Do not reflect the opinions of the spoiler of the job. Apparently they didn't play the Selma trailer before the screening he saw. <laughs> they, they did well, it. Was the they did play the trailer for the movie. But here's the thing. First of all, A... Joking, guys. Yes, I, we don't. Uh, we don't, Scott. And, and B, okay. The weird detour. Think of the arm. Is where it takes. It takes this detour. <laughs> you okay there, Cole? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. I can't so, so, no, it takes this weird detour, yeah. and suddenly you have Matt Damon on on this planet that looks really awful, and oh, he's been alone so long, and. He's all like freaky, you know, like Treasure of the Sierra Madre, like crazy and shit. Uh, and oh, he's a he's really a psycho. He's gonna come after him. like where? Okay, when did this movie that had been so smart up to now turn into a freaking Michael Bay flick? I felt like I was watching Armageddon. I felt like I was watching Armageddon with like wow. Buscemi going, yeah, wow. I can in space, you know. <laughs> It was like the scene from 2001 where the apes were fighting. It was like supposed to be like that, and then... Oh, come on! No, no, but seriously, I think it was supposed to show that the entire fate of the world was, you know, on some rock between two guys, a coward and another guy. It was just up to human will at that point. I think the whole point of the movie is to show the overcoming of human will, and it, it just showed that, like, this rock, this planet in the middle of nowhere was going to decide the fate of, you know, everybody on Earth, but... You know, it was whether Magani he was going to crumble or he was going to rise to the occasion. I know it sounds cheesy as hell, but it's true, right? I get your opinion. I, it's not that I. It's not that I uh, think it's a, a bad opinion. I just don't. I just disagree with it. Uh, <laughs> what? I just, no, 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 we're open. We're open. <laughs> and, and this is why I love. This is why I love movies. Is because no, no, no. I, 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 I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I just. It's an it felt a little out there. I mean, it felt out there. I'll it tell you did. that. It, it felt out of place. It felt really out of place to me to have this. Oh, uh, it just. But I think they wanted to show cowardice. You know, it, that's it, like another human trait that they hadn't shown in that movie yet. That I think that if they hadn't had us, that, you know? if that sequence hadn't been in there, people would be going like, "Why isn't the black guy going insane? Why isn't he? <laughs> Why isn't he wearing like you know Someone tissue boxes on his feet?" Yeah. <laughs> like, and plus, I thought it was neat that his name was Man because it's like yeah. man's inhumanity to man. Exactly. That's pretty awesome. Thank, I'm happy you caught that. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Yeah, I was thinking about that the oh. other day. I was like, 
because he was the big savior like, man, man, man. man. Like, I, no, I, I know or what you're like saying. Joanna man even. You know? <laughs> I know, I know what you're saying. Well, uh, you knew something was up as soon as the it was completely predictable. Oh, we can't access the robots' information. Yeah. Mac Damon's going crazy at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very pre- well. It was very predictable, and I you felt know, like Gone. He killed Jason Bourne on a freaking planet like. <laughs> you need, at this at that point Darn in the story, you needed spot. you needed visceral thrills. You needed some yeah. kind of like thing that the audience can relate to because there is a whole lot of concepts in there that yeah. you're asking people to wrap yeah. their heads around. It is freaking cinema. I didn't know the primal rage though. You know, I can think of a lot of uh, science fiction films, some of which didn't have as smart of a first half as this did, and I can think of a lot of uh, films where they didn't put that in. And it was fine. Um, I mean, it's true. I, I, I can see where some people might, as far as like just the visceral element uh, that Andrew was saying, might bring up, well, what about HAL, 9, HAL in 2001 or something like that? But still not the same, you know? Uh, I well, think there, about movies, I mean, I think about movies like, like one. I think about movies like uh, Journey to the Far Side of the Sun, also called Doppelganger, uh, Moon, or even another McConaughey film, which he was not as good in, to be fair, but Contact, which somebody brought uh-huh. up. Didn't really well. It it had a bit of it with the stupid rain of fire. people. <laughs> but rain I mean, of fire. I wasn't, right. gonna do, I wasn't gonna do rain of fire. No. <laughs> oh, all right. Sorry. Rain of fire. <laughs> with the dragons. Nice. I get what you're saying, Scott. It it did seem a little out of left field, but I see why they put it in there. Cole, you uh had something to say about the the yeah, scene. Yeah, just really character. quick. I I I came away with like um. The opposite opinion of that character, which is I knew he was going to be there. Uh, he's always there. I think that guy is, I mean, in terms of the two movies that come to mind right away are Red Planet and Sunshine, in terms of you know, us trying to save ourselves and similar yeah. amount of cast members on a ship, and that guy is there. I thought of Red Planet too, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, when I saw, no, seriously, when when they were on that big rock, I I oh, yeah. I got I got oh man, someone's going over the edge. Just <laughs> <laughs> like they did in Red Planet. I, I I did think that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think those clichés are there because they would be there. I mean, right. I you would have somebody who would lose it. Yeah. Um and but I do think it's interesting about, you know, the, the African American dying, but so many people <laughs> die in this movie. I mean, the fact that one of them has a, di- you know, a different skin color. I don't know. I think that's way about everything, though. It's, people always say the black guy always no, dies. I, in the I wasn't like, saying it. Everybody it, it, dies in the horror movie. <laughs> I wasn't saying that. I wasn't saying that. But and hey, you know, he's not. It, the 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 joke is often usually that he's the, that they're the 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 minority characters yeah. who aren't going to be on the poster or the yeah. first to go, and he's not the first. To be fair. No. <laughs> not, no, I'm saying that. The very hipster better. was the first guy to go. Yeah, yeah. he was busy the- watching a shopping bag blow around. He should have got. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that scene when they found the information on the first planet with the waves, and they're like, "It's nothing." It's like because they they totally messed up the calculations, and it's oh, just, yeah. "Oh, geez, we just flew like through a freaking wormhole through like two years of flying, and it's like we totally effed up on like the basic like it's like anything you do with technology, it's like you run across that one moment when you're just like." Holy fucking shit! But it like cost you like twenty six years. You know, it's like that would be so like freaking irritating. You know. <laughs> what about you, Tony? Uh, the man character. How did how did you feel? Did it feel like left field, or uh, that he served a purpose, yeah. or was it just kind of the Matt, the Matt Damon character, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, one thing 
the that was a surprise. As soon as he first showed up, I'm all like, "What, Matt Damon on the screen? Fuck yeah!" <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Damon, he did do a good job. Um, uh, if I have to say just one tiny nitpick, that was only that was my only tiny tiny issue with Interstellar. Like, I felt like his character was shoehorned. Like, he comes in and 25 minutes later he dies when that ship blows up, and you're just kind of like, okay. What was the point of having him in the movie? Anyways, like I could kind of see why, but I think out of everything else, that's the only tiny thing I didn't think had to be in the film. But I, I can understand why. I just thought out of everything, he didn't really have to be in this movie. Well, why have Why have Topher Grace in the movie? Why have uh, Affleck's little oh, brother in the movie? Why have any of them? I love, yeah. I love seeing yeah. Topher Grace in the movie. You're onto something with the man thing because like he was like. Built up to be this like super character, and then. Well, she, like, oh, when, I, I knew when I first saw him. I was like, he's just yeah, there to break the morale of the of the yeah, characters, yeah. and then cause desperation in the audience. I mean, it, that, it just, I, it was, I liked it. The whole yeah, like, I'm gonna the, fly the spaceship into the big spaceship, I, and. I see. I see. See, Scott's Nick Pitt. Uh, the way the film had been up to at that point, that did seem like a, a basic tool. Uh, to yeah. use that he he could have gone a little bit better about the same thing. I didn't have a problem with it, but I can see where Scott, where people uh, like Scott would have because up until that point, yeah, he had really taken a smart approach with a lot of things, and then mm. it seemed to fall back to a little bit more trope or you know. Yeah. I don't feel like the film was able to fully recover after it, honestly. Yeah. Even uh, at, even after it went even twice as you know brainy and cerebral and metaphysical. Towards the end, which I'm sure we're, you're going to talk about soon anyway, but uh, you know, I even when it did that, I felt it was not able to recover fully mm -hmm. from this weird malaise that it took for like a half an hour, forty minutes, or however. Well, it it, it was they did use him basically, like uh, Andrew said, it was the uh, break the morale. It was they had built the character up, and here he turns out to be the most cowardice guy who really screwed up, and and he just. He wanted to go back home, and he broke space. Well, he, space broke him. Well, you he, know. He, to be fair, he didn't really want to go home till the very last second. He was just yeah. gonna kill McGonaghy and try yeah, to like crazy. restart the human race, and he just got like he was already crazy, but he, then he got like thrown into a complete tailspin. Well, it's know? all fight, fight or flight, you know. I yeah. agree, I agree though, but that line was good. He's he's like, you're gonna die, whatever, and he's like. 50-50 is the best odds I've had in like 40 years. Or yeah, I, I tell you what, man. Uh, was like, was pretty good. <laughs> what made that scene for me when he's talking about, what do you see? Do you see your family? When yeah. he's like, that is cold as shit. That's like yeah. better than any serial killer. It is. Time, it, it is, which was another thing which was freaking stupid about it. I but that's what, like I was saying, each character showed like an element of like human, like, you know, personality. And he was like the, you know, you got to have the evil guy if you have... Everybody can't be like working for the in betterment of human race. There's got to be one guy that's like the wrench in the works, like you yeah. said, Mark. You know, I mean, I I do feel it was overall the film was kind of clunky, but you got to have something to cheer for, for Christ's sakes. I mean, exactly, I mean, Mark. I mean, Scott, like, look at it this way, man. You you're the voice of dissent on the movie in this podcast. You're the man of this podcast. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Man. See, you made it work. You wow. made it work. Wow. Did you see what you're dying. 
That's what this is uh, best. No. You're making it work, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. We no, need no. you to make it work. It was the. It was. Yeah. No, we're going I, so I, well. No, I, I get what you're saying, Scott. I, I, I have no. I can see, see it from that, and that's what, again, why I wanted to talk about this film. Um, <laughs> I just watched Jack Frost Part 2 before I did this podcast. So <laughs> tell you all where I'm at. Cerebral mode for the... Right to the exact opposite. The teeter-totter jumped the other way. With Jack Frost. <laughs> I bet they didn't discover uh, anything after that movie was filmed about science. <laughs> no, <it> was, <laughs> so the film definitely, I think we uh, all agree, though, at least, even with the bad man part, that it... Uh, it addresses a lot of fears amongst humans. And, it was and an interesting fears, film. I just thought it was an interesting failure. Of fears that we have in each other. So uh, speaking of it uh, taking kind of a not-so-smart uh, move with man, as, as Scott said, would you say, uh, and make an argument for our guest, and I'm sure Scott will, will definitely be able to do the against, uh, is the... Uh, <laughs> did this have a feel? Did this have a feel like a modern 2001 or maybe closer to 2010. Uh, Tony, uh, what would you say? Have you seen 2001 or 10? Uh, no, I haven't, obviously. Oh, you have Okay. But I do hear lo lots of conversations comparing to it. You know, some say this movie does pay a reminiscent to 2001, A Space Odyssey, and others say it really doesn't. So it's all like it's kind of half and half based on what I'm reading online. Hey, Cole, what about you, sir? Would you say that uh, it's probably one of the closest films that you would have to 2001 or 10? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, quite possibly. I didn't think about either of those films while I was watching it, though. Yeah. Honestly, I, I just, for some reason, I don't know, for some reason, I, I honestly just didn't think about those films when I was watching it. But, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. I kept thinking of, you know... How just how much it improved on contact, to be honest. <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Um, and also, I kept thinking of Event Horizon, because they almost had the oh, exact same mm -hmm. theme. Oh, I mean, well, the, the wormhole explanation scene is yeah, exactly from... I'm mean, like, he got this from Event Horizon. Like, he must have watched that. <laughs> well, that's the same with the pencil the through the... With the piece yeah. of paper? Exactly. With, yeah, with the piece of paper, that's... yeah. Um, but those are just... I'm just mentioning, mentioning little sure. things. I, I can totally see that, Mark, yeah. Mm -hmm. I just... I didn't think of either of those films. I Kubrick is in a different... He's like with Oliver Stone or David Fincher to me. Yeah. Like, I, I just... His work is in its own realm. I often don't compare anybody to what he's done. Sure, no, sure. That's, that's just me. And a Andrew, what about you, sir? Would you say these are this is close to a modern version of those films? No, absolutely. No, I don't think so because people don't want movies like that anymore. The culture is so different. You know, everybody wants everything to be so realistic, and they want everything to be explained, and they don't want their time wasted like it's such a precious thing. Even though you sit there eating chips and farting every hour. <laughs> Whoever's like, oh, this was a waste of my time. Yeah, right. You know, it's a waste of your time. You breathing, yeah. you guy that says that. Uh, Two thousand one uh, is a is an art film, man. It's a masterpiece because it was it's a it was made during a time where people wanted to go to the movies and just get blasted on drugs or whatever and just have their <laughs> head come off in the theater. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and who cares what yeah. it means? Who cares? Yeah. You. It's up to you to decide what that's about and what your experience you had and you're not wrong for that and the movie's good or not or whatever it's art and you experience it nobody wants that like I'm talking about in mass the people that would 
make the money for a movie that would cause it to you know be able to get its money back. Those people aren't looking for that anymore. You know, they're looking to go on the movie coaster. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, Interstell- Interstellar takes some great risks because it's asking you to use parts of yourself that you're not used to using. Uh, when you go see the Transformers or whatever, you know, it's uh, it's it's asking you to use your heart and your brain, mm-hmm. you know, or right. one or the other, depending on what you want to use. Like no, for me, like... for example, um, I don't, I I don't like uh, go to movies like this expecting to have some mental workout, and I don't, because I don't like things explained to me either. If I had any sort of bone to pick with Interstellar. Is that there was lots of explanations. I'm like, dude, man, bring me uh, beyond the black rainbow. I just want to like zonk out, you know. <laughs> good choice, yeah. Good, good choice there. Beyond the black rainbow, Joel. I still need to see that movie. What did like? What was the what was the question? <laughs> no. oh, uh, what was no, it? Oh, would you feel? Do you feel like this is a modern uh, 2001, I mean, 2010, like that heady, or is it a little bit? Uh, I would more? agree with everything Andrew just said. First of all, yeah. uh, because I thought he was right on that. I think 2001 is a little more, especially in retrospect, like an art film. Sure. But I, there was a lot of like, like the shots of when the spaceships just floating by the planet and stuff. I mean, that looked pretty much like 2001 to me, you know. Um, but it had like this feeling of a lot of sci-fi movies to me. I, Contact, I like Contact, but it, to me Thank it was just more right. like Contact than anything else. I mean, mm-hmm. it just was screaming Carl Sagan. Um, but that's writing, you know. So in film, I would say, yeah, I don't think there's too many sci-fi films like this that are this big of a budget. I think Sunshine was probably you know one of the last ones. But that even ended in a fight, you know what I mean? Like a fist. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it, that's always just to show. I think that like, and, and a lot of people hate that movie because of that scene, and it's like that's just to always show that man is its own worst enemy. It's not the technology. Yeah. It's not the planet. It's it's you know man is its own. You know that's cheesy right. as hell. But this movie was kind of cheesy and over the top, and that's why I didn't think. I thought they asked you to think like uh, you know Andrew was saying they ask you to use muscles you never use, but at the same time. It was kind of friendly. It, it kind of sucked you in with a little bit of that blockbuster feel. And, you know, hopefully someone picks up a book and you know learns about quantum mechanics. Not that, yeah, not that I, mean, I would understand it, but I mean, totally. At least read a book, Carl Sagan. Something. Jesus. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know. And uh, Scott, uh, would you say that uh, you would have? I, I, I get the feeling from what you've been saying that you almost prefer Nolan would have gone the full uh, 2001 route mm-hmm. than trying to. What it seems like, from what everybody's saying, is kind of play both sides of the fence. Yeah. No, no one get, no one understands 2001. It's so self-explanatory. To me. <laughs> I mean, it's not. Like, guys, read, guys, guys, read the book if you don't know. It's, 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 it's really. I love 2001. I think, um, I think that comparisons to 2001 are uh, unavoidable, just because it similarly has that tunnel that you go through. It also has the silence in space, which was very refreshing. Um, but I think that I saw certain elements of 2001, but I saw certain elements of other movies. I started to mention them before. I saw elements of uh, Contact, which I also liked quite a bit, uh, despite some weak links, uh, which actually I thought McConaughey was the weak link in Contact, but I thought he was good because <laughs> <in that>. um, <laughs> he's learned to really up Act. his game. Oh, uh, yeah, he's upped his game considerably <laughs> since the 90s. Um, and... Uh, uh, also, I lo- I thought about movies like uh, Moon, Silent Land, Silent uh, Running. Also, 
Um, again, a movie I mentioned briefly, a film called Doppelganger, also known as Journey to the Far Side of the Sun, that came out in the 60s. A lot of the stuff, especially towards the end and stuff, where they're talking about different dimensions and everything, and people are seeing... Mm, I'm like, ooh, I know that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would be surprised if they hadn't seen it, too, because it is, it's, like, it's a very cult movie. A lot of people haven't seen it, but a lot of people who want to do uh, a smart science fiction films have seen it. Right. Uh, and so I saw elements of all of these things, and honestly, if I had probably watched it again, probably a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the, you know, man being the worst, uh, the most, uh, our biggest enemy being ourselves, I totally agree with that assessment. I just felt like that was already covered in the... Uh, in the opening of where yeah. people are just, you know, yeah. they've stopped looking to the stars. Yeah, they, okay. they've, 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 they've opted to defeat themselves, everybody up to and including the Michael Caine character, which, I, again, I also had problems with. So, but anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we picked up on that real quick. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, I guess for me, it is a little, it's probably one of the headier, even though it has... A lot of people have say it has its weak points, and Scott's made some very good points. I still think if you look at the body of films that have come out, say even in the last ten years, of of wide release sci-fi type of films, this is probably one of the heaviest ones to come out yeah. in that time span. Whether or not you really liked it or not, at least tried to go to a different level than that. Uh, I do see, though, uh, as Scott's mentioning, though, there are parts in here, though, where it almost seems like he had to come back down and bring it down so that you didn't completely lose your audience, which you, you could have done uh, completely. Though, you know, if you wanted to appeal to more than a certain group of folks, uh, but it, I, on the whole, I, I think it is one of the more intelligent films to have been made, even though it did fall back on some tropes here and there. Uh, and I think he kind of had to with today's modern movie audience, uh, which which kind of leads me to uh, the last uh, question that I had. Uh, this film has a lot of science uh, babble in it, if you will, <laughs> for for a, a film like this to wide audiences. Do you think they may have gone? I mean. Do you think there may have been too much of that? Was that really needed, considering probably most of the people watching it wouldn't have understood half of it? Uh, or do you think that it was explained good enough, that they had just enough to make it seem plausible? Because I see a lot of science debates going on right now, and it made me think, is this film just uh, filled with a lot of psycho science babble, excuse me? Or is it, you know, just how real did it sound and is it plausible or was it a lot of just terms and and no i you know. i mean Go ahead, Joe. yeah i just want to say i think it's pretty realistic probably because from what i was reading from that article of wired i mean and then the, from other stuff i've read you know even the scene at the end when he goes into the three-dimensional representation of time i mean if you read some of the stuff that i've read i mean the, i mean i'm not a scientist but like you know quantum mechanics they say you know time could be like something that exists as like a whole, you know, solid point. So, you know, at the end when he was traveling up the bookcase, like it was like a solid object, like representing time. I mean, that's like some daring shit. I mean, you know, that ain't Transformers. Uh, <laughs> like, refrigerator into a robot crap. It's like, you know, that's that's like real science crap. And, you know, he's like sugarcoating as much as he can, I think, while keeping it 
you know, good right. for real sci-fi fans. I, I, I mean, I think that scene probably lost a ton of people. I love the way they did the special effects. I love the way that scene was shot. Um, I mean, that's purely theoretical. I mean, after you go into an event horizon, nobody knows what that's gonna right. ha- what's gonna happen there. And in any, and that's where it jumped off into the whole fantasy type thing, where it's like <laughs> they built this for us. And the best excuse I could ever come. I, can we do like the final theory? But I mean, sure. I have like a final theory of the film. Okay. But my theory was that originally Matthew McConaughey died in the black hole when he went past the event horizon, right? Uh, Hathaway's character went on, created like an entire new species of people. Well, not new species, but right. they built the race. They became like gods. They came back to this time. And they allowed sort of like that construct to exist past the event horizon, allowing Magani to kind of enact this fantasy where they had they had went already past, you know, all that civilization already passed, but it's sort of like this niche sort of earthling that went to go live on, sort of like a, you know, probably like a rare species of apple or something. <laughs> I mean, I know that's like really out there, but because they kept referring to they, and if you think of time as one c- consistent line, someone had to be there in the past, to, in the future, to send that thing back, so... I mean, they kind of that was kind of his way of like alluding to God, also. But well, that's, and he said, yeah. it's us, it's us, you know, like it's us that made this. So <laughs> it it got pretty trippy at the end. Andrew, uh, what about you? Do you think it was uh, just a whole bunch of science babble? Did it have some plausibility? Uh, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I uh, if I want a documentary, I'll watch a documentary. I mean, there's the Cosmos, Carl Sagan. Go check it yeah. out. Oh, brilliant! I'm wa- I'm watching oh, science fiction, you right. know, and. Uh, you know, I get a question I get asked a lot is like the same thing that like music music majors get asked. Like, can you enjoy like a just a rock song because of all the stuff you know about music? I mean, I've made my living writing about and talking about film for the last five plus years, you know, mm-hmm. and I also make them too. So people are like, man, what happens when you just go sit and watch a movie? Like, well, what happens when I go sit and watch a movie? I believe in the reality that they're setting up for me. So whatever they exactly. say is right. I'm like, Pete, yeah, exactly. Church, keep saying it, whatever. So like, I don't know if this stuff is true, but I also don't care because mm-hmm. I see a lot of movies where it's not true. You know <laughs> what I mean? But what does it matter? Like, I, I, don't, I don't like movies that think they're smarter than me, and I don't think I'm smarter than movies. I take it at face value, and I enjoy myself. And some people could say, well, that's you know blissful ignorance or whatever. But if I if a day comes, dude, when I'm watching a movie going like, this is a bunch of hooey, that's not realistic, <laughs> I would kill myself because my favorite thing, I'm serious, my favorite thing in life is, is cinema. And sure. If I, and if I suddenly can't enjoy cinema at face value as an art, then my life is over. My livelihood is over. My, everything's over. My passion in life is tied directly to it. So really, man, I was right there along with it. I, I thought everything was cool. And uh, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with it at all. Some people say they over-explain things, but I'm like, you know, you need to over-explain things, and you know why? Because Neil Tyson is gonna go and tear your movie up like he did with Gravity. Well, that was you know. So, so you gotta do. And if, and if anything's wrong with Interstellar, that's it. They know they're making a movie in an age where everybody's gonna nitpick everything. The best thing you could do, honestly, is just make the movie the way you want to make it and have your practical effects so it really looks like some little thing is attaching to something else. And you know, but they 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 have 
they sure. have the pressure of having to make things like having to answer for that stuff. Right. You know, I'm like, God, is that is is that where sci- sci-fi is now? You know, can an That's alien live inside you and yeah, you know, like, you know, burst out of your body? It's like <laughs> my favorite thing was not the science and stuff, not all that, but how lived in the sets looked when Damon gets unzipped. It really minded, it reminded me of an alien when they come yeah. out of the cryosleep oh, and stuff. Yeah. And stuff Grimy. looks all dinged and busted up and dirty. I saw a review of it. They're like, why is this thing they sleep in so unsanitary? I'm like, what is your problem? <laughs> yeah. yeah, forest of the trees. Yeah. Just go watch Attack of the Clones if you want shiny space. <laughs> well, just the, the, the aesthetics of the scene where he was in that three-dimensional cube thing or whatever, I was like, that was so cool because it tied in like sort of the way the rings of Saturn looked. Mm-hmm. And then the way you could see like the motion in the... It was like, you know, you could see the motion in the lines and stuff. I yeah. I thought that just looked really freaking cool. I mean, but it wasn't what I was expecting at all going into the movie. Because usually when they try to do something far out in the movie, it's like blinking lights or like a tunnel or some shit. <laughs> but that was like... It like yeah, it okay, like okay, okay. <laughs> all right, Mark. This is, that's the part, okay, when it reminded me of 2001. Yeah. It was the bookcase scene. That scene yes. blew my mind. He's falling through space. I'm like, well, he's going to die. And then all of a sudden he's hitting something and he's in something. I'm like, oh, man. That's my favorite part of the whole movie <laughs> right there because it's it's so far out. And you, somebody said, yeah. we don't know. That was my favorite because it didn't yeah. try to explain everything. It was yeah. like pure imagination right there. And I'm like, oh, God, this is great. But that's my favorite part, man, right there. Yeah, I I love that part too, just because it was such. I thought it was a daring choice, because I'm like, oh man, I'm like, we were really just gone. That, that was like over. blow your mind stuff right there. You that don't was, see that's that where it went all silent often. when he yeah. was like flying over the event horizon. I expected something miraculous to happen, but it was just like dead silence, and like his car was like running out of gas and like breaking up, and then you know he ejected into like basically. Like a freaking back black hole, and it was just yeah, like yeah, that's my favorite yeah. part of that movie right there. That's my favorite part. That, I was I was all I was awake for that part. <laughs> yeah. What what about you, Tony? Uh, too much too much science uh, babble in there, or did you think that you know? What did you think of that part of it, the science part of it? Well, uh, considering this is a science fiction film, I do think it's needed. However, in terms of everything being explained, I have to disagree with Andrew in that part. I really don't think a lot were explained there so for me. Like there were like maybe a few moments of of them explained, but for the most part, even though I was loving the movie and I was just blown away, but I was watching. A lot of the things, because I'm not a scientist, I don't know a lot about science, so I don't know how accurate the movie is, but I'm kind of watching the whole time going, okay, this moment, this moment, okay, yeah, that moment lost me, that moment lost me. So there were like probably at the very most 50 questions this movie asked by the time I left it here. Like so many. So in my opinion, this movie doesn't really explain much. For the most part, I was left to my own imagination, and I did really appreciate that, but... That whole um, book scene everyone's talking about, it really is so trippy because think about it. You, you basically see your own daughter again who's very young. Jessica Chastain is very older. You're kind of like, come on, Jessica Chastain, catch him, catch him in the ghostly form. And then that's when she figured it out. And I can understand why people may think it's far-fetched, but it's something that Christopher Nolan does beyond cinema that – Many filmmakers really don't do. Like, you could hate on Interstellar. You could say it's good but not great. 
but you have to at least respect the guy, especially the, the fact that he started writing the script since 2006 and took the time to do all that research. I mean, that's pure dedication. If that's not dedication, then I don't know what is. Excellent. And uh, Cole, what about you, sir? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it was all just right. I, I, I mean, in terms of scientific explanation, I know a little bit about this. I mean, when I was younger, I'd say I know a lot, but I'm far from a scientist. <laughs> so, but I, I have read, actually, a lot about this. And, you know, to hear them describe the black hole, when he sees the black hole, he says it's not like the pictures. And then the fact that they tried to actually show you that... Um, I mean, this is the bit of the science geek in me coming out, uh, but it was pretty damn accurate I, in terms of trying to wrap my head around what a three-dimensional black hole would look like and how you would travel into it. The special effects there are, are pretty much in alignment with what I understand as just a fanboy of, of this sort of stuff. It, it's pretty much in alignment with how it would be. Was it explained too much? Man, I I don't think so. I mean, I think it was just right. I could have used more, but, you know, as we've all talked about, we're not in a day and age when you can actually use more uh, without it hitting the cutting room floor. I thought that all that stuff was just pitch perfect, man. I mean, I really did. I didn't – my girlfriend came out of it a little confused, so maybe <laughs> she's a pretty – She's no, she's a smart lady, you know, and she didn't like the movie that much. So maybe they could have benefited from more. I, I don't know. I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant actually how they layered in real science into the dialogue. Again, the dialogue, the information delivered via the characters is so astonishing. And I just want to mention quickly. I mean, all of the big stars in here that aren't used as stars, like Topher Grace, like Matt Damon. I, I swear, call me naive, or maybe it was the end of a long, sick week. I've been sick this week. But it was a good five minutes into the scene when my girlfriend goes, I, I didn't know he was in this. Yeah, I, I didn't know who? any of those people were in this movie. <laughs> I, I said, who? I didn't recognize Matt Damon. Yeah. I didn't recognize him. I was so into the movie, or maybe it was just that his hair was wet, or uh, a weight gain <laughs> or weight loss. I didn't know that was Matt Damon. I was into it with the character. I knew this guy was going to be the... You know, the evil, the bad guy. But anyways, the science that was delivered, there was a lot of science delivered through just Matt Damon's character, even though he was bullshitting everybody. <laughs> I mean, everybody was delivering these characters, and even Topher Grace, man, what a great little bit. I mean, not not anybody who's ever rocked my world, but I thought he was perfectly cast, and Casey Affleck delivering just the right amount of information, his character, and how he's slowly burning his crops, and how he's almost given up on his family's health, in yeah. a way. Was uh, the I think it was supposed to be like another... Yeah, it was another effect of like, uh, yeah. global warming type stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, God, that was... Oh, man, when he's like... I, I guess his baby had died because yeah. it seems like children are dying from it. He comes back and says he buried Grandpa in the, near, next yeah. to the baby. I'm like, oh, oh man. Yeah. I mean, Connie had to react to all that stuff see, on the and, and And that's part of the thing that I liked about the film was the fact you didn't mention it all. If you catch things like the kid, him losing a kid, yeah. it's mentioned in passing in one line. And if you miss yeah. that, you might actually miss the fact because it throws you off. You wonder why are they calling the kid Cooper when the first time we were introduced they said that they didn't name the kid after him yep. and so I'm like well why are they calling him Cooper and then you realize 
Oh wait, that's the second kid. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. then they, you know, then he just drops that line. And like you said with Topher, that is a great moment where he's checking out the people and he's like, "We've got to get them out of here now." <laughs> yeah. he, he doesn't explain what's wrong with them. Exactly. He, he doesn't tell you exactly what's going on, but you can piece together if you've been paying attention during the whole film. There's yeah. some kind of health-related <laughs> problem with the dust. Because there's another line about that. She says, what happens when PC says he's going to take over another guy's farm? She says, what happened to farmer blah, 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 too? Yeah. And he just looks at her like, yeah. you, know, you could tell there's something like killing people. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's had that moment in Walmart where you see that couple and you're just like going to take their kid away. <laughs> Look, we got to get you out of here now. <laughs> Scott, what about you? Is, is this where, where you had problems as well with the I, I, I live in... I live in Florida, so I see that every day. Um, the um, and let me tell you, before I move away from uh, the South for good, I swear to God, I have to swing by by Georgia just to hang with Andrew for a second because I agree with everything he said. Um, I oh, how do I keep my my thoughts straight on this? It's so going to be so hard. I agree. Uh, first of all, I want to say that I don't. Agree. I don't believe that you should necessarily um, dumb movies down for your audience. If well, they, I wasn't saying it was right, but I was just saying. No, that. no, no. I'm saying if you need to, if you need to explain things to the, if the audience says, I didn't get enough info. Like, you know what? Then do some research. Do something. Crack a book. Um, <laughs> you don't. I think that you, you don't need to dumb things down. At the same time, I look at I look at two things Andrew said, and I and I completely agree with him. One. When I see a movie, I take every movie on its own terms. I completely ex every movie exists in its own universe and it's the one that they've set up. Sometimes it's something incredibly dumb, like he said, Jack Frost two. He just watched and man, I, I I'm totally wanting to watch Jack Frost two now. <laughs> you know, watch part one; it's a masterpiece compared to part two. Oh, oh I've seen them both. Oh, I've God. already seen them both. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm like oh. I love movies like that. But the um. <laughs> but, the, uh, but, you know, so I can watch all, all kinds of different things. I don't believe you need to necessarily dumb movies down for your audience. Um, I th At the same time, I believe that in America particularly, because if you look at, like, say, like, well, gosh, I mean, a lot of us have watched, like, uh, horror and science fiction and fantasy films from, you know, Europe and whatever uh, from 60s, 70s onwards. There tends to be not as much emphasis on the explanation. There tends to be not as much em emphasis on even logic. <laughs> I think logic is something that is uh, overvalued in art and undervalued in society. Um, I don't necessarily think you need to dumb it down. I was fine with all of the scientific explanations, I, so I don't think they need to dumb it down anymore. But at the same time, if one of these things turns out not to be true, because I just like um, I don't want to screw it up. It's either either Joel or or Cole said it. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is going to freak out over it because he freaked out over everything from gravity to the night sky and Titanic. <laughs> so, <laughs> he did. No, he did. And I, he and did. I think, and, he did. Tyson, and Tyson is a genius, fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, he does. I am not that nitpicky. I think when you get that, you, you really can't see the forest for the trees, and you miss on so much of the bigger picture by yeah. focusing on the small things. So I did not mind them explaining things because that is the universe they set up for this. 
They, um, that I think that all films need to be taken on their own terms, and I thought that, um, and I think, I'm trying to get this sort, sorted out in my, head, in, in my, in my creaky little head, um, that uh, I think they all need to be explained. I think they didn't explain it too much, but I think that it's not necessarily something that you need to overvalue on one way or the other. I will say that that wormhole ending, again, which I mentioned was reminded me of that other film, Doppelganger, from the 60s, uh, I want an apology from everybody who thought that the ending to Contact was too sentimental. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, you can't let you you can't say that was too sentimental, and this isn't. This is a very sentimental ending. <laughs> well, and, and that's that's why I know it's getting late here for everyone, so uh, I don't want to keep you guys too much longer because it is a film you could keep talking about. I will say this that. The film really did end sentimentally, but and who wouldn't want to continue? I'm going to say something really chauvinistic here. I apologize, but who wouldn't want to continue the human race with Anne Hathaway? But anyway, uh, <laughs> she got away with you for sure. <laughs> I, I I apologize. I couldn't I couldn't resist that line uh, that's been hanging with me all night. But uh, what I will say, it, it did have a sentimental ending, but I I think Nolan felt the need to put that in there because. In the 60s or, or when 2001 was made, if you wanted to give it a 2001 ending, you leave it with him uh, going black after he does, does the thing with the gravity and giving the explanation and everything, and you just cut. You just, you just leave it hang there, and I think he felt the need to put that sentimental ending for some closure for people because otherwise, uh, you know... I, I think you would have lost even more people at the end if you didn't have some kind of happy ending or or hope. Uh, you just oh, I, I, I'm a big so. fan of the hope. I'm a big fan mm -hmm. of the hope, especially because I think that too people, too many people are dreary and nihilistic today. So I was all fan of the hope. It's not necessarily how they did it. I think yeah. the way it was kind of like I think Nolan's an atheist and he wanted to put like sort of like a god factor in the whole thing so mm -hmm. I think that was his whole thing because like you said if you were to just cut it or devoid of all of the they or the who put this here it kind of leaves like a you know because people got to think of their god and all this stuff so sure. I think that's part of the reason it was there I like the ending like I said it kind of played mm -hmm. out the whole you know odyssey thing that it was like a total odyssey for Matthew McConaughey and mm -hmm. that his true spirit was to be like the you know explorer pioneer traveler mm -hmm. guy what what about you, Tony? Your ending? Did you did you think it was too sentimental? Did you enjoy it all right? Oh, I have no problem with an ending being sentimental. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> it was sad the fact that he that he he told his daughter before he left that he hopes to see her when she's maybe around his mid thirties and forties. Obviously, that didn't work out at all. But it was really sad, and I did cry when he sees his daughter, all old, getting ready to die. And I mean, it's a uh, it's a happy but sad ending. Because, sad because he see he see, he knows that his daughter's about to die, but happy because he got to see her one last time when he finally returns. And then, in terms of what happened with Anne Hathaway's character Brand and how the daughter tells him, no, uh, no parent should ever have to see their child die, and for her to just tell him to go see Bran. Yeah. I thought that ended the movie perfectly. It leaves you open to a lot of possibilities. It opens up questions, and definitely it makes you think a lot about your life and 
love, of course, the love you have for the people in your life, whether it's family or friends. So I thought how it tied up the end together for me, it was perfect. I was satisfied, and I was just mind blown But what for what I saw. And for this being nearly three hours long, I was never bored once because I was always so captivated by this movie in general. And uh, uh, Andrew, what about you, sir? Uh, too sentimental of an ending? Did you like the ending? No, nah, man, you can't be too too sentimental when you're making a love story, which is what Interstellar is. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a mm -hmm. Interstellar's love story. And you know what's neat about it is that um, you know uh, you got um, John Lithgow's character early in the movie is talking about um, people being obsessed with uh, you know the next gadget and having everything, and then later in the movie, Man talks about how are you going to get people to care about people that they're never going to meet. How, you know, and stuff like that. And so it's it's really got a message of not just because people are used to seeing a love story. It's about two people, you know, mm -hmm. this this person, this person, and somebody could say, well, it's about McConaughey's in love with uh, Anne Hathaway, but that's that's yeah. not it at all, man. It's about you know the interconnectivity of mankind and loving each other and caring about uh, you know the future. And so uh, you know, like Scott said, you know, there's a lot of hope in it. It's like, well, you know, because that's this that's the theme of the movie, and there are little drops here and there. You know, there are ones that are spelled out for you, and when uh, Anne Hathaway's character is talking about love and how important it is, and then later, of course, McConaughey mentions that too. But um, you know, when I watch movies, I am I'm watching them with my heart rather than my head most times. Right. <laughs> and and um, I that was what uh that's what I watched this movie with. So I yeah, and that's funny because like you know, Matrix, everybody was really pissed at that last movie, but really it was like it was like haha, you just watched a kung fu love story. <laughs> <laughs> all these special effects and bullet time and all this stuff, and it boiled down to a love story, and people were mad. So I was like, "Oh no, no, this was a video game, damn it!" No, <laughs> no, for all your all your uh, all, all your high tech stuff, it was a love story, and so yeah. and I, you know, bring on the cheese as far as I'm concerned, man. Oh, like, same here. That's how same I feel about it. Same here. Like I like I said, uh, I I I just wanted an uh, apology from all the people who complained about the ending to Contact and everything sure. being too sentimental. I'm like, I I cried at the ending of Contact, so I'm fine with sentiment. I, I think that love and hope is what's going to get us through this uh, struggle yeah. that we call life. And well, that's and that's world. why this movie won't uh, date itself either. You know, it could have done a lot of. We're talking earlier about all the CGI that it didn't do. And all the movie beats that it didn't do, and all the like modern editing techniques that it didn't do. You know, Mark, you mentioned way, way early on about how let how it let itself linger on some of the shots and stuff, and some of the moments. That that makes it that's gonna make it good in another 10, 20 years. You know, yeah, when a lot of these other exactly. things are gonna seem like movies of their time, which people will get burnt out on CGI. You know, and and uh, they will see like stuff that's got a lot of computer effects. We'll be like, oh, dude, that's a really like a 2013. <laughs> and they'll be making, you know, there'll be riff tracks of the Avengers. You know? <laughs> yeah. But this movie will dodge the bullet because yeah. it actually dared to just do some things that cinema always, that's always going to be cool, which is mm -hmm. do real shit, have yeah. real models, have some real time, real space, and appeal to something like love, which no matter. You know who you are. You uh, should be able to connect with it. Yeah, and Cole, what about you? The last thoughts on the uh, ending of the ending was awful. The la I mean, I'm talking about really. Uh, does, does Christopher Nolan have a family? Like he wouldn't introduce himself to his fucking grandchildren for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> he just spent the whole night drinking a beer with a robot. 
well, I sure like looking ahead at the future. You wouldn't <laughs> introduce yourself to your grandchildren and right. your family? Just be like, hey, quick handshake to everybody. No, he's gone. And never mind the fact that technology, technology has changed. He just knows how to operate this technology that's sitting there in the wing. And come on, they don't have video cameras and monitors. And I mean, he just stole the ship and he's gone. And. <laughs> Through that ending, I mean that that was a wretched ending. I, I'm sorry. What? I don't know what, what they were thinking about it? It almost annoyed me, mm-hmm. but uh, I, the movie is so fantastic that I, I give it a free pass. Because for whatever reason, I'll trust Nolan. He felt like he needed to do it, uh, but that was ridiculous. It 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 was an ending that I I didn't have too much problem with though. It, those questions did come up, but because I think by that time in the film. I was so into it and loved the rest of the spectacle. I was trying to figure out how they were going to end it. Yeah. And, and part of the ending, while it didn't appeal to me as much as the rest of the film, I know why he did it. He had to, as I mentioned before, because I think with the modern movie audience, if you don't give it to some kind of ending like that, uh, you're really going to lose people, unfortunately, because we have such a culture today with film-watching audience that you know, lowest common denominator, and this is kind of a level above that in many respects. So, yeah. Um, but it it is getting late. We'll tie it up here. I just want to say that I don't think Nolan makes this film had he not made the films prior, including the Dark Knight trilogy. Mm-hmm. I don't think he could have got this movie made, or if it would have been received like it had been. Would you guys at least agree with that? That uh, oh yeah, definitely. He, 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 I, he creative I think... control. Yeah, he wouldn't have had the creative control on it. I think that the I think that the last two Batman films that he did were done in part so he could make his other other films like Inception and this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. You know, because these those two Inception and this so seem so totally different from the Batman films. You, you know, and those other the other film those uh, more mass marketed films he's made. So well, Del Toro uh, does the same thing, man. And one Del for Toro. me, one for you. Yeah, he. He Del Toro had he not had the reputation he had would have never been able to make Pacific Rim. Let's face it, Del Toro did not make Pacific Rim in order to make money. He made it because he wanted to make a freaking monster film. Yeah. I had the feeling with Interstellar is Nolan had this wild, great idea with sci-fi. He did his research and he wanted to make an epic, like sci-fi film, old school. And that was his plan, and so he went out, did these other films, so he could do things like Inception and like Interstellar. So uh, I think we'll wrap it up tonight, though. It is late for some of our friends here in the spoiler room. Let's just go down real quick. Cole, uh, for those who may not have uh, heard of you before, where can they find you? I'm on uh, Facebook currently. Uh, Cole Meredith or Shadows and Lovers Productions is uh, my own personal filmmaking page, or I'm also on a page called... Horror Roar, where we just focus on doing great stuff with great horror movies. But uh, Facebook is cheap and movies are expensive, so that's why. <laughs> and and uh, as always, Mr. Andrew Shear, where can I find your stuff, sir? Oh, man. Amazon Instant has three of my movies currently. You can rent Fake Blood, you can rent Mondo Gonzo, or you can rent Pajama Nightmare. Thank you. <laughs> and Mr. Caldwell. Oh, YouTube channel. Uh, C-A-U-W-E-L-3. Caldwell 3. Yeah. Awesome. It's under my and, name. And uh, Mr. Davis. 
Uh, you can find me at movieocrity.com. That's got all my writings. It's got every podcast that I'm that that I sucker myself into, uh, including this one. <laughs> People <laughs> nice enough to have me on their panel, and it's gonna have uh, any future episodes of Movieocrity or Cinema Obsession or whatever else I decide to do. Movieocrity.com. Awesome, and Mr. Estrada, your sir, go. You can, <clears throat> you can find me at youtube.com slash 22tigerdude. You can follow me at Twitter at tigerdude22, my Facebook page, 22tigerdude, and Instagram at 22tigerdude. Awesome. <laughs> and I hope everyone enjoyed this podcast that went half the runtime of Interstellar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it shows you what kind of film this is, whether or not you love it or hate it. It is a film that will be talked about, I think, for quite some time, and it is one of those that will be viewed in five years, and people will still talk about it. Uh, it, it is a different film than one of the mass-marketed films that we've been in, inundated with for many years. So that alone makes it a bit of a special film to me, is that at least someone trying to do something different. And hopefully it starts a trend. I hope you've enjoyed this. You can catch our podcast and the other ones on our iTunes channel and Stitcher Radio. You can go to specialmarkproductions.com where you can find links to all these fantastic people who join me and babble about movies for an hour, hour and a half. Uh, I appreciate their time. Go to specialmarkproductions.com, check it out. You've got links to our old shows. You've got uh, stuff that I do on the final cut for my movie review as well as We Live Film. Uh, I appreciate you listening to our, uh, deterior our, our deconstruction of Interstellar, if you will. Hope it makes you want to see it. And if you, if you like it, hey, uh, even better. Hope you talk about it with your friends just like we did here tonight because uh, in the spoiler room, our conversation is fresh even when we spoil the movies. <laughs> <laughs>